Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word, but we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Have you ever noticed that the wise men of the Christmas story are completely different from anyone else who was part of Jesus' birth narrative uh, in and around Bethlehem as we uh, read the various stories about Jesus' birth in the Bible? Uh, the wise men were completely different from everyone else. And... Um, when they came to Bethlehem, and when they saw Mary and Jesus, the wise men gave proclamations about Jesus. And those proclamations were broken down into two different kinds. They gave spoken proclamations and unspoken proclamations. The spoken proclamations talked about them seeing a star and about coming to worship a, a king. Uh, and the unspoken proclamations were in the gifts that they brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gifts themselves proclaimed things about Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. So we're going to be in Matthew today, if you want to uh, turn over there in your Bibles. And uh, when you say Matthew, Matthew and Christmas, you know immediately we're going to talk about the wise men. Because Matthew's the only one that talks about the wise men. Luke talks about the shepherds. Matthew talks about the wise men. So uh, this series of Advent, we're going to be talking about proclamations uh, of G proclamations about Jesus, or proclamations of Christmas, I call it. Uh, but these are proclamations about Jesus that we find in the Christmas story. Let's put it that way. So in Matthew, we, we meet the wise men. And uh, I think the wise men are interesting in the Christmas story because they are such a contrast to the rest of the Christmas story. If you really have noticed this, um, or not, they are the wise men are a real contrast to the rest of the Christmas story, because the rest of the Christmas story is full of poverty, it's full of lowliness. I call it. You know, you have lowly 
uh, Jesus, the baby, born in a lowly manger to the lowly Mary and lowly Joseph and uh, the lowly animals around, or whatever, whatever. Uh, so, you know, and the reason you have that is because, generally speaking, everyone else in the, in the Christmas story, they're, they're poor. I mean, the Christmas story, the story of Jesus' birth, as we find it in the Bible, is full of poverty. Mary and Joseph are poor. We know they're poor because when it was time for Mary, after she had Jesus, to go to the temple for her rite of purification, they didn't take the normal sacrifice of a lamb. They took the accommodation that Jesus, that, that God made, the accommodation that God made for that, that if you can't afford or don't have a lamb, you can bring two turtle doves for this uh, sacrifice of purification. And we know from the Bible that that is what Mary and Joseph took for this sacrifice, two doves. And so that indicates to us that they, they were poor. And Joseph, being a carpenter, that was manual labor, you didn't get rich being a carpenter. So Mary and Joseph were poor. Uh, Jesus was born uh, in a manger, in a stable, and he was wrapped in swaddling cloths. He wasn't born in a gold uh, bassinet. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't wrapped in a silk nightie. No, everything about his birth screams poverty, screams being poor. Um, although I think, the sh I think, just to kind of jump ahead just a little bit, I think when the wise men, when they were coming to Jerusalem, expecting to find a king there because of what they interpreted the star they saw to mean, I think that's what they expected. I think they came to Jerusalem because they expected this king to be born in Jerusalem because kings are born in royal cities and Jerusalem was, for all intents and purposes, the capital of Israel. This is where the center of uh, political and military influence was. So if a king is born in Israel, you're going to assume he's being born in Jerusalem. And you're going to, be, you're going to assume if he's the kind of king they expected him to be when they got there, that he would be born in a golden bassinet in a palace wrapped in a silk nightie. And so that's part of the surprise uh, of Jesus' birth for all of us. One of the things that we're shocked about when we read about God coming to earth as man, the poverty of it, it just hits us in the face. And then, of course, you know, we find out in Luke that on the night that Jesus was born, the angels appear. I mean, the angel, the angels appear to the shepherds, and the shepherds come and find Jesus and tell Mary and Joseph what the angels said and what happened. But the shepherds were poor. Shepherds were. I, I, I like to use the analogy, and it's not fair because it's stereotypical, but it but it is somewhat true that you know we kind of look at the manual labors of today, although some of them make very good money, right? We still kind of look look at them as their kind of, you know, the ragtag bunch of the world. I mean, for example, I think we, a lot of people have that kind of opinion of like garbage men. You know, they're kind of the rag and tag and they're manual laborers and who wants that job, you know? And I, of course, things have changed recently. But I think the shepherds were like the garbage men of that day. They were kind of looked down upon and they were kind of, people looked down their noses at them and they were not thought of very much. And they were they were poor. They were they, and they were poor in that day. 
So everything screams poverty and lowliness and all of that until we get to the wise men. And the wise men show up and they're wealthy. And have you ever seen a uh, depiction of the wise men on TV or a movie or whatever that they weren't adorned in these beautiful flowing silk robes and jewelry and they just exuded wealth, right? And they're riding uh, camels and of course, you know, they also brought expensive gifts with them, right? Gold, expensive. Frankincense, expensive. Myrrh, not as expensive as frankincense, but pretty close. So to me, as I, you know, of course, the birth of Jesus is a wonderful, great, refreshing thing. But, but when you really look at the uh, circumstances and the context and the environment into which Jesus was born, before, during, and after his birth, life for Mary and Joseph was hard. It was hard. And they were poor. And so you kind of, as you read the Christmas story, you kind of get this poverty and this, this thing. And, 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 you kinda, and then all of a sudden, the wise men show up, and it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like, oh, these guys show up. And, you know, you get kind of a, you get kind of a pause that they weren't so lowly, these guys. You know, they were wealthy and well-to-do. And they show up to kind of uh, give a different feel to the Christmas story than everything else that we know about it up until the time that they show up. So that's one thing I like about the wise men is that they are a contrast to the rest of the Christmas story. The other thing is, I don't know if you realize it or not or thought about this, but do you know that the wise men were the only people who were involved with Jesus' birth at that time who knew about Jesus' birth without being told about it directly by an angel. Everybody else as part of the Christmas story was told about Jesus' birth by an angel. Mary was told about his birth by Gabriel. Uh, Joseph was told about his birth by an angel in a dream. Uh, the uh, shepherds were told about Jesus' birth by angels. But the wise men had no angels. They had no angels to tell them about Jesus' birth, what did they have? The they had a star, right? They had a star. And their What's that? In their studies, they studied the astrology and all this. Right. So, uh, so let me ask you this: Of all the people in the Christmas story, Mary, Joseph, if you're gonna go to the innkeeper, um, uh, the shepherds the wise men, who do you most relate to? Who do you say, I kind of most relate to this. This, If I put myself in the story, this is probably where I see myself in this story. Shepherds? Why would that be? Well, because when the angel comes to me as a shepherd, run to where he is. Which they were. And it's just how I think I would feel. You know, just be so happy inside of it. You gotta go, you gotta go, let's go see Now that, that is a contrast to what the wise, to the feeling you get the wise men, right? And the shepherds, you get the feeling, oh, they're excited, they, they jump up, they run in, they find him. But the wise men are kind of, you know, look, just kind of taking okay. their time. 
getting in, you know, they're, they're just kind of one of, yeah, kind of getting there, slow but sure. So the shepherds are the hare and uh, the, uh, the wise men are the tortoise. Yeah. No, they weren't. That's why I say they were slow. They got there significantly after. Hey, Connie. The wise men weren't really at the birth. No. No. But they, yeah, but they were, they were still part of the Christmas story. But yeah. Well. Two and under. Two and under. Yeah, I think that they got there Yeah, and we're going to read the passage here in a minute, but there are clues as to the fact that the wise men were not there, obviously, at the manger on the same night that he was born, like the uh, shepherds were. And uh, the two major hints in the story are one is that uh, Matthew says that the wise men went and found him in a house, uh, not in a manger or at a stable. And also, they, Matthew says that they went and found the young child, not the infant. And the other, the other clue is exactly what you said is when Herod, he very specifically and diligently asked the wise men, when did you see that star? When did it happen? And he wanted to make absolutely sure he knew the timing. And so when he orders his henchmen to go and to murder all the male children in that area of Bethlehem, uh, two and under, he didn't just pick the number out of the, out of the hat. He picked the number two years based on the timing that the wise men had told him. So one of two things either happened. Either they told him it was two years they'd been working on getting there, and he killed all the children two and under, or as Chuck indicated, maybe they told him we've been on the road for we've been doing this getting here. It took us a year to get here, or a year and a half, and Herod just extended it another six months or doubled it to make sure that he had a chance of making sure that this new king, the rival of his, would die. The thing you have to know about Herod is. Herod had his wife executed. He had his children executed. This is the kind of guy we're dealing with. He had no compunction about killing and murdering these, these children. Uh, he had his own, some of his own children murdered, killed, his wife, one of his wives. Um, and he even, I've told this before, he even arranged that as he was declining in health and nearing the end of his life, knowing he didn't have much longer to live, just like a week or so before he died, he had his uh, people round up some of the leading religious leaders in Jerusalem and with the orders that when he died, they were to be executed. And the reason he wanted that to be done was so that someone would mourn when he died. Because he knew if he, no one would mourn his death, but by making sure that these leaders, religious leaders were executed, there would be mourning when he died. Hold on, but... No. Well, he wasn't Roman. He was called Adumean, which is it's from a different line. He wasn't really Roman, but he wasn't really Jewish. He, but he worked for the Romans. He was appointed by the Romans, and he reported to the Romans. So they were definitely 
who he, Caesar Augustus actually appointed him, and he that was who he was. But but some of the some of the Jews liked him because he did restore the temple, and he did do some things that were to help them in terms of helping them get through some famines and some things like that. So he did help them in some ways, but the point is he was ruthless, he had no conscience, and if he killed people or murdered some babies, it didn't really matter to him. Well, I think that we have more restrictions on people today, thankfully, than they yeah. did back then. You well, know. I wanted to make the point that I think one of the one of the uh, part of the symbolism of the, of the three kings, and who knows how many there were, it's probably three. But the symbolism of the kings coming was that all levels are going to bow down before him. It's not just going to be the poor; it's going to be the rich. It's going to be everybody's going to bow down before him. I think that's the well. That's a good point. As a matter of fact. Uh, we see that even in the world today. I mean, uh, not only rich people are believers, not only poor people are believers, and not all believers are rich. Uh, and you have believers in all strata of society today because, you know, number one, we're to be salt of the earth. We can't be salt of the earth if every Christian's wealthy because then the poor people can't relate to Christ. So by having believers in all strata of, all strata of society, rich, poor, and in between, anybody in any condition in the world, whatever you are, rich, poor, or in the middle, you can relate to Christ and relate to Jesus and see how he can help you and what he can do for you. What's that? Oh. Yeah, so you're right. So in the story of Christmas, we have the poor kneeling to him, we have the rich kneeling to him, and that's a good you know, example of the fact that Jesus came for all. So that's a very good point. Chuck? I love that bumper sticker that says, wise men still speak. Yes, yes, yes. But isn't it interesting that most of the mean you seem to see him? Wise men, that's what, that's what I was going to say. Well, you know, in my book, I have in the quiz, it says, most of the things we think we know about Christmas, we actually learn from either Christmas cards or Christmas carols, not from the Bible. <laughs> Which is why that test is so hard, because you think you know it, and you get in there and you realize, oh, wait, I, I know the Bible says that. And then you realize, mm. but yeah, every time I see a Christmas card with the wise men at the manger, I'm like, that didn't happen that way. Do we know where the came from? Well, Okay, so uh, they came from the east. They came from the east. So when, I'm going to read it here, when it says they, star, they saw a star in the east, what people have misunderstood for a long time, many people, is they think that that's, the star was in the east. That's not what that's talking about. They're talking about the wise men saw the star in the east. The wise men were in the east. The star is actually in the west, because the wise men traveled from the east to the west to get to Jerusalem. So it wasn't an eastern star. It was a western star. It was eastern wise men. And so here's, the answer to your question is no. But the answer to your question is we can ha- kind of have some conjectures. And so the conjectures would be uh, that they probably came from a... Uh, Heredity from, from, from a line of uh, magi from 
probably ancient Babylon, probably from the time of Daniel in Babylon. Because if you read Daniel, after he interpreted the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar, he was named the head magi. You don't really realize it's just one, one verse in, in Daniel. But, you know, remember that Nebuchadnezzar brought all the other wise men, the magi, in to interpret his dream, and no one could. <clears throat> and he threatened to kill them off, they didn't, or whatever. And they brought, and that was Joseph. But, but, but Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and he couldn't, and he brought his men in, and they didn't. And Daniel came in, and Daniel was able to interpret it. And so, because he was able to interpret it, Daniel was made the, the head magi, the head wise men. And so, the, the, and I say that because, and we'll go into it here in just a minute in, in the lesson, but uh, as Chuck already kind of indicated, these magi, these wise men, were not ignorant of Jewish scripture and Jewish prophecy. Yeah, they, they knew something about it. How could they have known anything about it? They knew about it because they had the influence of Daniel. Right. When, when, when the Israelites who were taken into captivity to Babylon returned to Israel, not all of them came back. Some of them stayed in Babylon. Right. Right. And so the wise men from the east, from Babylon, from Persia, uh, could have been, you know, descended from those magi and wise men in Babylon during Nebuchadnezzar's time and Daniel's time. And so they came from the east, probably from Babylon, Persia, having had some exposure to the Jewish scriptures through the Jewish people who had been taken captive there and through Daniel's influence as the head magi. And God's providence, yes. And 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 it's, it's what God wanted to happen. <laughs> well, I, was, I mean, Babylon was known for uh, uh, for its uh, education. For yeah. Its wide variety of knowledge for its, uh, you know, its so uh, and of course, magi is magician. It's the same thing. Where magicians come from? Yeah. And they were the ones, just as Daniel did, that studied at long times of study of all of the different. The, the, okay. <laughs> you know, even as God uh, created a big fish, yes, I think He created a special star. It probably wasn't even a star. It was probably a satellite or something. But, <laughs> right, and it could move, yeah. and it could move to where it ended up over the state. That's just my theory. Chuck, I happen to agree with you 100%. I don't think it was a star in the traditional idea of a star that we know today. Um, I think that the, the wise men had no other way to describe it other than a star. You know, we find in, for example, in the book of Revelation, all these things that John is trying to describe that's going to be happening all these thousands of years in the future. He'd never seen a helicopter, right? How does he describe a helicopter? Well, maybe it's some kind of a bug insect or something, right? So I think the wise men saw a light in the sky that they were unfamiliar with, but I don't think it was a star in what we consider to be stars today. 
I think it was a special revelation of God. God is light. We read all through the Bible, God is light. And so we see his Shekinah glory going into the temple, the pillar of fire at night, light, light, light all through the Bible. Correct. Either either one of two things. Either it was only seen by the wise men who were intended to see it, or it was seen by others who didn't understand what it meant. Right. Well, well, here's my interpretation of that. Okay. So first of all, I agree with Chuck. It wasn't a real star. It was the light of God supernaturally put in the sky. Uh, and I agree with, I, and what I think happened is they saw the star initially and they understood what it meant and they went to, and so they knew that a new king had been born in Israel. And we'll get into a minute how they knew that from the Jewish scriptures. And so they knew they needed to go to Israel and they assumed they needed to go to Jerusalem, for reasons I already said. I don't think the I don't think the star. I think once they st- at some point after they left their home to go to Israel to go to Jerusalem, at some point along the way that star disappeared. That star was no longer in the sky. I don't think they followed the star to Jerusalem, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But when they left Herod and they left Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem. The star reappeared, the star, and another reason it wasn't a star is because that star, once they left Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem, moved. It moved, and it led them and stopped. And in the original Greek, the word used is it it stood. The star stood above the house where Jesus was. That's not a star. Stars don't move like that, right? But the guidance of God, the light of God can guide you <laughs> to where you need to be. So, uh, so let's, look at, let's look at this. Let's look at it because a lot of these questions and things we're talking about are uh, in this passage. And so let's read it and kind of see what we're talking about here. I think the wise men, we talk about proclamations uh, of Christmas. I think that in this story of the wise men, we have both spoken proclamations and unspoken proclamations. So we'll talk about that here in a minute. So uh, Matthew 2. It says, uh, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the original Greek it says, Jesus having been born in Bethlehem uh, in Judea during the time of King Herod the Great, the bad guy. And in the original Greek, Matthew writes, behold. Remember what I say when Matthew writes behold? What he's really saying is, can you believe it? When you see behold in Matthew, it means can you believe it? So during the time of King Herod, behold, can you believe it? Magi. From the east, they came from the east, so the star could not have been in the east, uh, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born uh, king of the Jews? Now, the, in the Greek grammar, the word asked there, or it can be translated as they, they said, uh, the grammar that's used there indicates that this is a continued action. This is a continued action. This is something that they kept doing. So it's not like they came to Jerusalem and knocked on someone's door and said, uh, where's the king been born? And 
and it's one time. No, the idea here is that Matthew wants us to understand is that they asked and they asked and they asked and they asked and they kept asking. And they kept asking. And they kept asking. And the people they asked saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know idea. What king? I don't know what you're talking about. So that's why they had to keep asking. Everyone they asked, they said, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. What king? And so this absolutely shocked them because they assumed what? Everyone would know this. A star has appeared in your own scriptures. It talks about it. Had no idea. And even and even the, when we found out that, that that some of their own Herod's own advisors and counselors knew that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Now, now think about this. These are the religious leaders. These are the people who know the scriptures. These are the people Herod turns to for these kinds of questions. And they have wise men saying, we saw this star. A king has been born. And these counselors come in and say, yes, yeah, he'll be born in Bethlehem. And the, and the wise men said, we're out of here. We're on our way to... And all of these counselors said, goodbye. Not one of them said, can I go with you? I'd like to see this too. Not, not one. Right. In my... This is the NIV that says... They, first of all, one doesn't have to be told in it at all. Right, none of them do, yeah. Uh, but second, secondly, it says, the wise men said, we saw his star. We saw his star. His star, not a star. Right. Not the star. Right. His star. Right. So it says the next verse is, we saw his star in the east. When it rose. In the east. We saw his, the star is not in the east, the wise men are in the east. We saw his star when we were in the east and have come to worship him. So, this is, gives us the first proclamation, actually, uh, that's spoken by the wise men here, when they say, we saw this star in the east. Let me ask you this. What do you think it was about the star that made it distinctive to the wise men? Well, like I said, I think they felt it was for him alone, mm -hmm. the king alone, his star. Because they knew the scriptures. They knew what it meant. But when they're looking, these are, I shall say this, the, the, the Magi were both astronomers and astrologers. Back in that day, they, they observed the stars and the moon and the sun, uh, but they also used them to predict things. So today we have astronomers who are scientists. We have astrologers who look at your horoscope or whatever. Uh, in that day, the Magi traditionally were both. They looked at the stars scientifically, and they discovered some things. They discovered that the uh, that the constellations moved, for example, uh, season by season, and 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 they, they so they were scientific in a way. But they also part of their job was to interpret the stars for their kings. You know, this is a good day to go to battle. This isn't a good day to go to battle. This is a good day to plant the crops. This is a good day. So. The kings and leaders would lean on the magi to look at the stars and advise them. That's kind of what they were doing. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, but these wise men, they saw, say, we saw his star in the east. We, it doesn't say, though, what made that star distinctive. I think that is right. And it was large, and it didn't move with the constellations. It moved in its own little place. So it looked totally different from what. Okay, I, I, I think, yeah, I think the star was new. 
they hadn't seen it before. I think it was different in some way. And maybe it was different in that, like you say, maybe it's different because it didn't move. Maybe it was different because it was a different color. Maybe it was different because it had a different look to it. Well, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say it was larger. The Bible doesn't say it was brighter. It might have been brighter. It might have been larger. It might not have been. The Bible is silent on that, but there was something distinctive about it. I think more likely it just was new, a new light, a new star, and there was something distinctive about it. What it is, we don't know, but the wise men knew. So, Genesis 1.13, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate this day from the night, and let them serve as signs in our sacred times and days of years. So, signs, you know, well, I think one thing about it is back back in many different cultures of that day, of that time in history, there were many cultures that were expecting something to happen. There were many different, uh, uh, even in Rome, they were expecting some king to show up. There were many different cultures we find in history that about this time, in history that they were kind of all expecting some cataclysmic something was going to be happening soon. And, um, and so I think the wise men were watching, they were watching the skies with anticipation, thinking something's going to happen, and if it happens, there's going to be a sign in the sky that's going to reveal it to us. They didn't know what it was, but that, I think they were anticipating something and they thought that they would find a sign in the stars that would indicate that things were changing. Something had changed. This sounds like today when we're looking for Jesus to come back. We were looking for the end time to happen and for Jesus to come back. That's like this. I think you know. I think that's a great. I think it's a great analogy. I think it's a great. I think any of us who are students of Scripture, who are students of end time prophecy, are today saying, "Gosh, we're getting. We just." There's just a feeling in the world of what's going on and what we're seeing and what we're experiencing. And you look at the Bible, what it says is going to happen. And you look at all the prophecies and the Old Testament, and the New Testament. You just have this feeling it's not too far away. Not it's going to happen today or tomorrow, but we're getting close. And I think that might be the same kind of feeling they had back then. It's like, I don't know, but it kind of feels like things are coming together. could happen, you know. And, You know when you see certain leaves on the fig tree that the, yeah. the, 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 the fruit's coming soon, you know. So, well, so, so how do they know? So here's how they knew. They, they didn't have angels to tell them, but what the, what the wise men were able to do is they were able to put two and two together, two and two together. So the first thing that, they, the first thing that gave them the hint was that they saw the star. They saw a star, a different star, a new star, whatever it was, a distinctive star, this is, not, this is not a normal thing we normally see. The second thing is that they knew the Jewish scriptures. We talked about how they probably knew the Jewish scriptures, but they were familiar with numbers. Because if you go to numbers, you don't have to, I'll read it to you. In numbers uh, chapter 24, uh, this is Balaam who's actually making this prophecy. And he says, I see him, and this would be Jesus we know now, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Because this was still 
a long way away before Jesus would, would be born. And it says, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. So they knew this, they knew this verse. Balaam. Balaam, who was, you know, he was trying to prophesy against Israel, actually. And he tried to prophesy against Israel, and only good things came out of his mouth. So, Jim? If that's the case, why well, weren't they tuned in to Micah 5 2, which says Jesus would be well, born Well, you know, that's a good point. Uh, I don't have the answer to that exactly. But uh, there's really no other scripture, no other way they could have known the star was indicative of a king being born other than knowing the scripture. So somehow they knew this and not that. I really don't know. Although, uh, uh, you know, Numbers was an older scripture, maybe. Uh, I don't really I don't really know the answer to that, Jim, to tell you the truth. But... Um, right, exactly, exactly. Now, now, Herod's counselors knew about Bethlehem. They knew Micah. Because they, they, when we get to the part here in the story, when Herod brings them in, they're going to be born in Bethlehem. That's what Micah said. But this seems to be new information to the wise men. So somehow they knew Numbers but didn't know Micah. I mean, Numbers, you know, is part of Moses' writing. So it could be they were familiar with the Torah but not familiar with the prophetic writings of people like Micah. It could be that as a possibility. They would know Daniel since they came from that, that tradition, you know. So, Okay, so two and two together. They saw the star, boom. They knew the scripture in Numbers, boom, two and two. So the first proclamation we find in Matthew here, chapter 2, is they say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They knew their proclamation here, spoken proclamation is, there's been a proclamation number one is, a king has been born in Israel. And it's a special king because there's been a star that has appeared that has proclaimed his birth. So this just isn't any run-of-the-mill king. This is a special king. And yet again, why they expected everyone to know about it? Because if a special king has been born and a star has appeared to proclaim that he has been born, this everyone should know about it, especially if you're living as a Jew in Israel. So that's why they were so shocked that no one knew. It's a point many of the Jews... Were worshiping everybody except God. Well, I no, not so much. I think that time of idolatry had kind of passed. They were back in the temple. They were back worshiping God. They were back doing sacrificial things. I think even some of them were anticipating that the Messiah would be born soon. So, um, yeah. Well, I think probably the Lord made it in their church because everybody in Jerusalem knew about it. And Eric would come right over. <laughs> well, that. That could have been a problem, too. But, you know, in ancient Israel, I mean, kings would were made kings in a couple of different ways. I mean, <clears throat> you could be chosen by God to be king, as David was, for example. You could be chosen by the people to be king. And all through kings, when we have Judah and Israel divided into two kingdoms and kings were being made right and left, I mean, sometimes the people decided who would be the king. Um, or you could be... You could be born a king. So God could appoint you as king. The people could appoint you as king. Or you could be born a king, you know, handed down from the line of royalty from father to son. In Jesus' case, he was both. He was chosen by God to be king, and he was born king. 
And so, and the wise men probably were familiar again that they knew that that everything about this child lined up with the king that had been promised. Uh, he's the right nationality. He's Jewish. He's they. He's from the right tribe. He's from Judah. You have to, the Messiah had to be from the tribe of Judah. And uh, you know he is from the right family. He's in the family of David. So eventually, at some point. They probably put two and two together, like I said, and they've come to Jerusalem to find this child who has all the right qualifications to be a special king who has been chosen by God and born king. And so they get there and they find anything but. So let's keep going with uh, the story. So it says, we saw this star in the east and have come to worship him. So this is the second spoken proclamation by the wise men. We've come to worship this king. For the Jews, one thing has been clear from the beginning. You only worship the Lord, right? You don't worship anyone else or anything else. Uh, you only worship the Lord. You don't worship kings. You don't worship prophets. You don't worship angels. You only worship the, uh, you only worship the Lord. Right, but I think what has happened is I think that the wise men who came to Jerusalem knew this about the about the Jewish people through Daniel's influence that Daniel himself, right, didn't worship Nebuchadnezzar, right? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not worship Nebuchadnezzar. At threat of lion's den and flaming furnace, they didn't worship anyone but God. So I think these wise men were familiar that this was a special king and when they come and they say they're going to worship him, they are not coming to worship a king because the Jewish people would not worship a king. They're coming to worship the Lord. They're coming to worship the Messiah, Emmanuel, God himself, God with us. Now, okay, here's my theory for what it's worth, my Christian imagination. I don't think when the wise men left home they were believers. I don't think they thought that this was the Messiah. I think they thought it was a king, a special king. A king with a star has, a, has pronounced his birth, and so they want to go see this king. Uh, but I think the year or two years it took them to get there, that they became believers during that time. So why would that happen? Well, in a year or two years on the road without internet, what else you got to do but talk to each other, right? And think about it. And I think during those long, quiet days and the evenings, they began to question more and, and think about more about Daniel and the Jewish scripture and what it meant and what the star meant. And I think they were convicted by God. And I think they left pagans and they arrived Christians. And taking it even a step farther in my book that I write about being a wise man, I even have them, whether it happened or not, it could have. It could have happened. I have in my book that the wise men, before they got to Jerusalem, they met a shepherd who had been there when the angels appeared. So think about this, for example. The wise men see the star. They know the scripture. They head out thinking they're going to find the king. On the way, they're dealing with 
you know, the Messiah, and is he God himself, and the Jews, they wouldn't work. And then on the way somewhere, they run into a guy, comes into their camp at night and says, and, they, and he starts saying, where are you guys going? What are you doing? Oh, and they tell him about the star and the birth. And this, and, this, and this shepherd says, I was there. I was in the field. And the angels appeared to me. And I went and I saw him in the manger. And Mary and Joseph. And, and then that, was, that clinched it. It was like, okay, I believe. I, this guy was there. He saw it. Angels appeared. We now, so I think, they left pagans, they arrived Christians, and when they got to Jerusalem, they were saying, we've come to worship him. And I think this is the second spoken proclamation of the wise men that he's not only king, but we've come to worship him. He's also Messiah. He's also God himself. Didn't they all, didn't they all have the there? Except if they were coming from the east, they would hit Jerusalem first. And then they would go to Bethlehem from there, so... Okay, so let's go on because we're running out of time. So, okay, so verse 3. Now we're going to get into some of the unspoken proclamation. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So, Grady, you said you thought there were more than three wise men. I totally agree with you because all of Jerusalem would not be all upset and King Herod either with three little dinky wise men showing up. But what if there were a hundred of them? Uh, John MacArthur thinks there were 300 of them. There were enough of them to make, a, to make an impression on the whole town of Jerusalem, which was a big city back then, and Herod. It had to be an impressive group coming, not just three. That's my opinion. Okay, verse 4. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet Micah has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel, who will be the Messiah. So, right, Jim, uh, these, these religious leaders knew about Micah's prophecy, but the uh, wise men didn't. And uh, I think that they just probably didn't have the, the, uh, the prophet's writings to refer to uh, where they were, perhaps. So it goes on to say, uh, verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. We talked about why he did that. And the word there, the word translated as found out in Greek means that they inquired diligently. They inquired diligently. Uh, verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search, search diligently, inquire diligently. It's the same kind of idea that he asked them, inquire diligently, and he wants them to go and inquire dil diligently for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Yeah, he's a big fat liar. <laughs> uh, liar, liar, pants on fire. Uh, after they, now after the, this is why I think the star had disappeared and reappeared. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and behold, there's a behold in there, Matthew puts it, it's not in your scripture. And behold, can you believe it? The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. This star moved, this light moved. It took them to the place where Jesus was and stood. it stood. It's, when it says it stopped over the place, the Greek says it stood. It's, it stood over the place. Uh, when they saw the star, the wise men, they were overjoyed. Now, in the Greek, it's like Matthew couldn't find enough ways to describe how excited and happy the wise men were. It's translated as overjoyed in English. Do you have any other word besides that? Rejoice exceedingly. Rejoice, I say that's closer. 
Because in the original Greek it says, they rejoiced with great joy exceedingly. <laughs> it's not just overjoyed. They, they rejoiced with great joy exceedingly. They were dumbfounded. They're, oh my goodness, we see the star again. So they wouldn't be that excited if they followed the star all the way to Jerusalem and you know for a year or two years, and then they leave and there it is again. It's like, oh. you know, it's like I say, if you go to the circus, it's exciting. But if you work at the circus, it loses its luster, right? So if you saw the star for two years, it shows up again. You're like, mm-hmm. But if you haven't seen it in two years, but you saw it way back, and then all of a sudden there it is again. Whoa! That's exciting. Okay, so uh, on coming to the house, you're now living in a house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down, and in the in in Luke he uses uh, the word for the shepherds that they knelt, but here in Matthew he's using and bowed down. It's really not a very good translation there if that's what you have. But the Greek says uh, they fell down. They fell down. Is that what yours asked? They fell down prostrate before him and they worshipped him. So they're believers at this point. Then they opened their treasures. And they presented him with gifts. And again here, the word is really treasures. And the idea of treasures here means collected treasures. It means things that they specifically collected to bring with them to, uh, to give to, to this new king. Uh, and there was gold and incense and myrrh. So the gold and incense and myrrh, these are the unspoken proclamations that the wise men had. Because the gifts talk. The gifts say things. So the first gift was the gift of gold. Gold was uh, royalty. It was a gift to royalty. So by giving the gift of gold, they were proclaiming that Jesus was king. It's the kind of gift you give to the king. So unspoken proclamation number one is like spoken proclamation number one, that this child is a king, is the king. The second thing is frankincense. Frankincense was was used uh, uh, in certain religious ceremonies in certain sacrifices, used by the priests in the temple when certain sacrifices were made and certain religious observances were uh, accomplished. So the idea of frankincense, the unspoken proclamation there is, this child is priest. He's priest. He has a priestly duty. It also speaks of his deity. It was The, the frankincense was used in the temple for religious observances and sacrifices. So it speaks of Jesus being priest and also of his deity, that he is, he is God. And then they bring myrrh. And the third proclamation is one of myrrh. And myrrh proclaims something foreboding about Jesus. Uh, It talks about Jesus in his humanity. So we have the frankincense, his deity, the myrrh, his humanity. Because myrrh was used to prepare bodies for burial. Correct. Certainly, uh, frankincense was used by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus on Jesus' own body when he died and was put into tomb. And this, the proclamation of this myrrh, this gift, was that Jesus was redeemer, that he would die for the sins of the world. So we have in the unspoken gifts, the gold, Jesus is king, the frankincense, Jesus is priest, and the myrrh, Jesus is redeemer. Now interestingly, of all of those three proclamations that were made by these gifts, the only one that has been fulfilled completely today on earth is the third one, the myrrh, because he has already died 
for our sins as our Redeemer. He hasn't come as King to set up his kingdom yet. He hasn't set up his, uh, you know, his kingdom where he will be priest on earth for eternity or king for eternity. That's yet to come. What he has done is he's come and died as our Redeemer. So the third proclamation has been fulfilled. Now I want you to look at something real quick. I would like to turn over, if you could, just for a minute, to Isaiah. Isaiah is easy to find. Isaiah 60. Because this is, I think this is really cool. And this kind of puts the, puts the, you know, what do you call it? Puts the cherry on the top. Yeah. So, uh, Isaiah 60. Okay, we're going to start at verse 5. Now, this this is a prophecy by Isaiah that talks about Jesus, not in his first coming, not in his birth in Bethlehem. This is a, a prophecy in Isaiah that talks about his second coming, and not the rapture. He's talking here about his second coming to come on to earth to become king and prophet. So in verse 5 of 60, Isaiah, then you will look and be radiant. He's talking to Jesus here, basically, the Messiah. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will, this is one in his second coming, your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To the riches, to you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Midian and Ephah, which Ephah is Bethlehem. Uh, young camels and all from Sheba will come bearing what? Gold and incense or frankincense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. What's missing here in the second coming of the gifts he's going to get? No myrrh. Why? He's already been redeemer. He's going to come back as priest and king. So when people bring him gifts in the second coming, they don't need to bring myrrh. That's over. That's done. That's history. He's now priest and king. King, gold, frankincense, incense, priest. We bring him gifts in the second coming as priest and king, not as redeemer, because that's already been fulfilled with his first coming. We'll finish off with this. John MacArthur says this about the, the wise man passage in Matthew. He says, in this brief text, we see examples of the three basic responses that men made to Jesus when he was on earth. The same three responses that men throughout history have made to the Lord. Some, like Herod, are hostile to him. Some, like the chief priests and scribes, are indifferent to him. And some, like the Magi, worship him. So, one last thing. Guess what? In, in eternity, in heaven, on earth, in eternity, in God's kingdom, there will be no Christmas. There will be no Christmas. We won't have the spirit of Christmas. We won't celebrate Christmas. There's no Christmas there, but there's Christ there. And so we will celebrate. We will turn the spirit of Christmas, will become the spirit of Christ. We're going to celebrate not really his birth. We're going to celebrate that he's king and priest and he's been our redeemer. That's what we're going to celebrate. Christmas will be gone, but Christ will still be there. I just think it's interesting that the wise men, you know, Jesus playing with Jesus, not, not living in a castle or right. a mansion. And the wise men just accepted it. Yeah. They, they just, they accepted who he was without, you know, not like the Jewish people who were waiting for this um, different thing. I, I just, I hadn't thought really about before, but how they just came and worshipped him yeah. right there. I mean, what, and they weren't Jews. No. They were not Jewish. That's why I think they left pagans but arrived believers. Right, Christian. And they worshipped him, 
And you're right. And, and now this is again fulfills prophecy. He comes to his own people and they will not recognize him. You know? It's interesting so. to me that they brought those specific gifts if they left their pain. Well, they were bringing gifts to a king, but they didn't realize that they were also perfect for the Messiah. You know, sometimes you kind of have something that you do and all of a sudden you don't really have any... No, no, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, what I'm saying is God can sometimes use things that we intend to be used in one way, and in the end they're used a different way, and we never knew that was going to happen until after, after the fact. Great, good. I don't know if you were going to cover it in the next go-around, but the escape to Egypt, the practical side of all this was they were poor. Yes. And to go to Egypt, have to stay there until Arab is gone, or whether they needed money. Yes. Because they were not going back to where he had his livelihood. They needed this money. They needed these gifts. This financed their trip to Egypt. This, absolutely. To get over there, to live, and do all that. This is another thing that I think kind of uh, uh, says that the wise men came later is because they did, didn't have any money. They only had money to pay for pigeons or whatever it was. Right. Uh, you're exactly right. You, there's no. If they had, if the wise men had come. That happened eight days after his birth. If they had come before those eight days, they'd had all the money in the world to pay for a, a lamb. So they didn't come till later because when they went, they could only afford the two pigeons. But when they went to Egypt, they, God provides what you need when you need it, right? He gave them that and off they could go. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.